Welcome to COVID Conversations. I'm Christoph Weiger. Together, we're going to meet some interesting people. Our topic, 2020's biggest story. With us today, Mirjana Borch. It's the middle of June and Malta is trying to reopen the country. Restaurants and bars are now accepting customers and some flights will start operating in July. That's not to say everything is back to normal. Thousands are currently unemployed and hundreds of people are struggling to put food on the table. In this episode, we're going to meet someone I got to know during my university years when I was doing an undergrad in the health sciences. Thank you very, very much for being a guest on this podcast. Now, I think I last saw you when you were still a student uh, around three years ago, I think. So in a nutshell, what what happened since then? Um, Yeah, I think that's the last time that we met. So I graduated. I started working at Mother Day. Uh, My first few months, I was working as a reliever, as a nurse at the hospital. So I was basically just going around the hospital and working wherever they needed me to go. And then I got my place in Surgical Ward 5, which is basically a surgical ward that targets patients who have issues with their bowels or issues with their stomach, right? Um, And then I recently transferred to anesthesia nursing. So now, since last November, I've been working in the theatres. And I work basically hand-in-hand with the anesthetist to put the patients to sleep before the surgery and keep them alive. <laughs> Sounds very important. Yes, it is. <laughs> so you graduated in nursing and are now a nurse. So what is exactly the difference between a nurse and a doctor? I know that they both, a nurse treats patients and takes care of them, a doctor treats patients and takes care, takes care of them, but what's the difference? Um, I think that the main difference between nurses and doctors is that the doctors focus more on diagnosing the patient. So they they get the patient, they see what the issue is, and they kind of diagnose the patient and make a plan on how they're gonna cure the patient, right? But then it's kind of left in the nurse's hands to actually help the patient with along the journey to get cured. So the nurse is basically responsible for everything around the diagnosis, okay? Because a patient, when, when a patient gets sick, um, of course there are the symptoms of the sickness, let's say, I don't know, Let's say the patient has bowel cancer or something, right? So, of course, there are the symptoms of that cancer, but the patient is also going through weight loss. He is depressed. Um, His relatives are stressed. Um, He probably isn't eating or drinking enough. He might not be walking properly. So it's the nurse's job to kind of see all the issues that are being affected by the illness and treat those. And we, we just work to improve the patient's quality of life, really. When did you personally realize that you wanted to become a nurse? I laugh about this because when I was like six years old, I dressed as a nurse for carnival. My mom had given me this nursing costume and I kept on wearing the same costume year after year until I didn't fit in it anymore. So I can say, you know, since I was a kid, but I didn't really understand what a nurse does at the time. I just knew I wanted to do something that was in the hospital that would be helping patients. And I, I think after I finished my A-levels, I, I kind of went into nursing not knowing what to expect and, and, and what's going to go on. And it wasn't until my second placement that I really realized, look, this is 
exactly what I want to do in my life. Like this is what what I will be doing for the next couple of years. Speaking about your job, so what's the hardest part of it? Um, I, I think it really depends on the area that we're working in. Like when, when I was working um, in a ward setting, I think the hardest job for me was to actually like give bad news or I think one of the worst moments was I would be working a night shift and a patient passes away or is about to pass away and I would have to make this blessed phone call to the relatives and be like, hey, um, it's 3 a.m. You know, your father isn't doing so well. Could you please come to hospital? And I absolutely dreaded doing that phone call. So, like in a war setting, that, that was the hardest thing that I had to do. And of course, when the relatives come, they're usually, you know, crying and hysteric. And you kind of get used to it after a while, but it was definitely annoying. Um, but now that I moved on to anesthesia, I think the hardest part is actually the the high demand. Like it, it is, I love my job. It's, it's such an adrenaline, you know, rush because I work in the emergency um, side of anesthesia and I work in a lot of different areas, right? So it, it's absolutely wonderful, the teamwork and the adrenaline that you get. But it's really, really demanding. And I think the mental stress is the worst part of it. And what's the thing you might like most about your job? Um, definitely that I get to, to help people, you know. Um, I, I get a lot of time with the patients. And this is a big difference between being a nurse and a doctor. The nurse gets a longer time with the patient. Um, and, and you get to speak with the patient. You get to learn more about their life. And I think one of the nicest feelings is having like a super anxious patient or a patient who's really worried. And then you just get to calm them down by talking to them and, you know, like reassuring them that they're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. So that is definitely the best part about my job. And I'm not sure if you've heard, but uh, this year we've had a global pandemic caused by the coronavirus. So yes, how yeah. are you, first of all? Um, I think now I'm a lot better. When it actually started, I was really stressed. But now, you know, I got used to living with it. I got used to working with it. So I'm a lot more calm now. How did the virus affect your job? Um, okay, so I'm working in anesthesia, right? And when we put a patient to sleep, the, the medication that we give the patient will paralyze the whole patient. And so we have to put a tube down the patient's neck to keep them breathing. And when we do this procedure, the virus becomes aerosolized, which means the virus can, like, it, it becomes able to live in the air, right? So we were one of the highest professions at risk because in most other professions, the virus was at a droplet um, factor. So if you simply keep your distance and if you just wear uh, like a normal mask and gown and gloves, it was fine. But because our procedures um, do aerosolize the virus, then we had to wear the uh, tight face masks and we had to wear tight goggles and like we were using double gloves and it was, you know, the amount of clothing that we were putting on to protect ourselves was absolutely ridiculous. So I, I think it definitely was one of the negative um, features of that. There was a lot of changes at the hospital. The staff canteen became a ward, the library became a ward. And so all the doctors and nurses were being constantly um, sent from one area to another, you know. You kind of wake up and you're like, okay, <laughs> I don't know what's coming to me today, you know. So there was 
this aura of just stress and you know like real uh, the, the first few weeks were really stressful but then after a while we kind of got used to it we realized that we're gonna have to work with this um and we have to do this you know for the best of uh, the hospital really so we we just kind of started to build on our teamwork and we're like look, we're all in this together so if we don't work together it's just gonna get worse and I think that was one of the best things that came out of this as a hospital is that we really worked as a team. So we're recording this in, in the middle of June and uh, things, at least in Malta, were a bit sort of more tense a couple of weeks and months ago. Now public is sort of going back to normality. However, you also have the, some doctors saying sort of the virus is still here and it's it's a full sense of security to think that we're back to normal for you in your job is the sort of wearing all that equipment still happening are you still in that same frame of mind as you were back then or are you like the general public sort of going back to the old normality um there are things that we we went back to normal and things that we kept so for example the anesthetic nurses and the anesthetic team because they are the ones at highest risk um, of getting the virus, we still do wear the whole protection when we're going to you know, do this procedure where we put the tube in the patient's throat. Um, but because it's such, um, you know, it's less common now to have a patient with the virus than it was a couple of months ago, then the other nurses and the doctors who aren't in such close contact or who are at a low risk of actually getting it are not wearing the full, um, protective equipment so they're just wearing a visor for example or, or a normal face mask um, so we're kind of trying our best to monitor the patient so before a patient comes into the hospital we swab all of the patients but of course there are emergency situations you know where you don't have time to swab a patient and in those cases yes we still wear the whole protection and around the world a number of institutions had to restrict visitors so patients lose that human connection. What was that like? Um, at first, I didn't really see, like I didn't really think about it until a friend of mine went into hospital and she's a foreigner who doesn't have any family in Malta. So I was like her only person to be there and I wasn't allowed to be with her. And it, she had a really bad diagnosis and I, I just felt helpless, you know, because there's not much you can do in the first place. But the fact that I wasn't allowed to visit her, um, it was really frustrating. And I did come into a few arguments, you know, having been like being a nurse myself, I understand why the visitors are limited. But I, I did have a couple of arguments because they wouldn't let me in. So it's definitely frustrating. And it's annoying because you don't know, you know, my friend is a 20 year old, so she could have just called and given me updates. But think if this was an 80 year old i don't know grandma who doesn't have a phone or who doesn't you know can't write then you won't get any updates and because of the data protection there's a limited amount of information that they can give you over the phone you know so it's kind of like a lose-lose situation and it was really frustrating would you say the virus also affected your own life yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm a really social person and I used to go out a lot and I would go to the gym and uh, like different classes. So it definitely affected that. Um, as I've mentioned to you, um, I did move out from my family. Um, so I'm, I wasn't living with my partner for the first, first few months. So 
it did affect that. And when I moved back um, alone, <laughs> I, I, I remember the first night that I, I moved in my apartment alone. I, I cleaned everything, I fixed everything. And then it was seven, seven in the evening and I look at my phone like, hmm, okay, now what? You know, because in a normal situation, you could have gone out and met your friends. But I was just sitting here, you know, like, okay, I'm not going to sleep yet. Um, only thing I can do is watch the TV. <laughs> and I, I just felt like so lonely and, and so sad. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, I'm in this situation because of the coronavirus. But there are people who are in this situation, no matter if it's a virus or not. Like there are people who are this lonely all the time. So back to nursing. The, the 12th of May was International Nurses Day, and on that day, the International Council of Nurses said that's, that some nurses were being excluded from society, harassed, and attacked. Is this something you've heard of or come across yourself? I think nurses are put in, a, in situations where people have their strongest emotions, you know, getting a bad diagnosis or being in hospital. So a lot of people are stressed. And so, yes, we do get harassed by bad words or even sometimes physically from patients and relatives who are under stress. And then in regards to the virus, um, yes, I did experience it myself, actually. I went shopping to my local grocery who has known me since I was a kid. <laughs> and when I went shopping, I was wearing the mask and everything. And the owner was kind of taken aback when he remembered that I work as a nurse. He was like, um, uh, can you just wait outside and tell me what you want? Like, don't come in. <laughs> and ev like everyone else in the shop was, you know, just either wearing a mask wrongly or wearing gloves, which is even worse. And also some of my friends were like, didn't want to meet up because they're worried that I'm going to infect them or something. I mean, I understand that people were scared, but what they should have realized is that they are more at risk when they go shopping at a supermarket with, with wearing, you know, their stupid gloves and with not being attentive enough, then they are at risk when meeting me because I am wearing full protection at work. You know, I do online shopping most of the time. So I was more aware of the virus and I was taking um, better, how to say, I was being more careful than the general public. But for some reason, it was the nurses and the doctors who were being looked at strangely. Would you say it's frustrating to sort of have people on, on Facebook or people you know tell you about the risks and being scared of you when you know more than them and sort of not agreeing exactly what they say? Uh, personally, I think the uh, I saw some of these quotes and they were really, really tilting me. And it, it was that this is what nurses and doctors have signed up for. So they should suck it up and go to work, you know. And reading that was actually just making me really, really angry because you don't send a soldier to war without him being equipped, you know. You don't send someone for a, a fighting match without having the right mouth gear and gloves and stuff. So you, you do not send nurses and doctors to fight this pandemic without having the resources okay and expect us to just suck it up and be there because that is not what we signed up for we signed up for to care for you and to care for your family given that we have the right knowledge and the right equipment to use right so i think that was definitely one of the worst um quotes i i kept seeing everywhere on the flip side a number of people were sharing messages of thanks to nurses and still are and we've also seen 
some different events during which people, for instance, go on their back knees to clap for healthcare professionals. How does that make you feel? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm... I mean, I appreciate it. You know, I'm sure that a lot of the people who did clap and who, who did give their thanks were heartfelt. But then again, the day after the whole clapping thing happened, around a hundred people were meeting outside, you know, to celebrate their Sunday on, on motorcycles. And uh, just recently, there was like a, a big celebration about some football league, I believe, in, in Florian or something. So... Honestly, I mean, I, I appreciate the clapping. I appreciate all this, but don't clap for me if you're gonna just make the whole thing worse the day after, you know. The World Health Organization chose 2020 to be the year of the nurse and midwife. And we still have a number of months left in the year. So what's something the followers of COVID conversations can do to support nurses? Um, I think the first thing, you know, should be to actually take care of themselves. So. Just wash your hands, keep your distance, you know, all of these things that we've been saying over and over again to actually reduce uh, the transmission. And the second thing they can do is to actually, you know, understand that we are not perfect. You know, we're humans just like everyone else. So if for some reason or another you see a nurse or a doctor who's stressed, just, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt that they had a bad day and that they... Uh, you know, the stress that we are put in. So it would be nice if people can actually just understand that our professional, like our profession is important and what we do is really important and not just assume that we, I don't know the best way to put this, to be honest. Um, but what I want to say is that nursing is a really important profession. And I think a lot of the time it is undermined because we're just seen as assistants or as, the, you know, the the person who's gonna change diapers or something but we do a lot more than that is there something you wish your patients knew more often i think that when people actually become patients in the hospital they get a much better outlook on what nurses actually do so i i think they kind of see it themselves because people outside of the hospital say a lot of stuff about us like oh nurses have so much attitude oh they're always fighting you know uh a few months ago, we were arguing because we don't get good food at the hospital. And we got such a, you know, a backlash from the public. Like, nurses shouldn't, shouldn't be, you know, doing this. It's a vocation. They shouldn't get a raise or they shouldn't get better food. They can just do it at home. But in reality, you know, the stress that we are put in, the conditions that we work in are sometimes ridiculous, you know. And people often don't make a difference between vocational jobs and volunteering you know i am not here volunteering this is a vocational job i love my profession but at the end of the day you know i want to be treated well i want to have good conditions and i want to have a good pay because every single nurse out there has a family to support you know whether it's her own life or whether they have kids so the people outside of the hospital i think that's what they i would like them to realize but when they do actually come inside the hospital and they look at us working and they see the conditions that we're working under, I think it's just given and most of them just realize this right away. There's uh, some sort of saying which goes something like um, promises made in a storm are then forgotten in the calm. 
And like we've touched upon in this podcast, we've seen people clapping. There are also people calling for nurses and doctors and healthcare professionals to be protected more in terms of the equipment and also given more money. If you had to give yourself a raise, would you do so and why? To be honest, I don't think I would be giving myself a raise. Um, But what I would definitely want is perhaps less hours at work in such a pandemic because it's super super stressful um to work in these you know in these conditions working for 12 hours with a mask tied to your face and goggles tied to your face it's not only physically exhausting but it's mentally exhausting you know because after work for example all of the nurses will be paranoid so we we wash our hands and then we shower at work and then we shower back at home and we disinfect everything because we're paranoid that we're gonna you know bring something back home so that is def- that would have definitely been the first um, thing I would have asked for, you know, just less hours at work because it's really stressful and, and burnout is very um, common in such situations. And rather than getting a raise, I would have appreciated like better equipment, uh, pr- protective equipment, because, for example, at work, the visors, which were meant to be disposable, We've been washing them and reusing them over and over again because there isn't enough supply. So I work in journalism and the news literally never stops. Sometimes, however, it is easier than other times to switch off my laptop and say that story can wait till tomorrow. However, you're working in a hospital, you have patients in front of you. Some of them won't be going anywhere anytime soon. How do you deal with acknowledging that you're human? There's only so much you can do. And that you also need a break. You kind of work, learn this the hard way. I remember I, I learned this when I was a student. Um, I was working in the palliative area, which is basically terminally ill patients. And I had really, really bonded with this specific patient. And I knew she was going to die eventually, but I, I bonded with this patient. And on the day that she died, I, I kind of went home and I was just, I don't know, empty. I, I felt empty. And it took me a while to understand what actually happened. And when my brain kind of realized, hey, your favorite patient just died, you know, that, is, that kind of hit me emotionally and I couldn't stop crying. And then the next day um, I spoke to my mentor who was absolutely amazing. And I was talking to him and he said, you know, the only way that you're going to kind of um, make, not make yourself feel better, but comfort yourself is knowing that you did your utmost. You know, that patient was terminally ill, so there wasn't anything you could do. But in the weeks coming to it, you made her feel, you know, good. You improved her quality of life. You reduced the pain. You reduced the discomfort. Um, you helped her emotionally. So it's all these other things. Um, when you come to a point where you just feel helpless, it's you have to realize that look, maybe you cannot cure someone, but you can improve their life. You can take away the pain. You can um, just make them feel more comfortable, really. How would you describe the ideal nurse you would want yourself to be treated by? Definitely someone who's patient, because when people are in stressful situations, um, they don't think properly and they don't act properly. Having been um, in this situation myself, like being from the patient's point of view, when I, as I said, when my friend went to the hospital and it was an emergency, I was not thinking, I was just running around looking for help, you know, I, I, so I, it would have been helpful if I found someone at that time who was like, okay, what's going on? Let me help you, you know, and just find someone who's patient enough to listen to me 
and guide me. So that is definitely um, the best quality that a nurse can have. And also the second quality that is like super important is empathy. A lot of patients are stressed when they're in the hospital. So having a nurse who can kind of sit down with you and explain what's going on and what the plan is and just allow you to express yourself is super, super important. And do you think you listen to your own advice? Um, a lot of the time I do. I can't say it happens every day because there are certainly days where I'm like, okay, I just want to get this day over and done with and i try to smile <laughs> but yes there are days where i just want to go home you know um but i think that most of the time i do give a lot of time to my patients and i i actually spend time to listen to them and in particular i remember i had this patient and sometimes we don't don't put the patient fully asleep we only put half of their body or the part that we're going to operate on to sleep and so the patient is awake you know and i remember having this old lady who was going to have this like type of anesthesia and she was so stressed she didn't want to do the surgery and i managed to calm her down and by the time she was going to go in it was seven o'clock in the evening so my shift had ended and the night shift nurse came and so i told the patient okay like now this nurse is going to take over okay best of luck and she, she, she grabbed onto my hand and said, no, no, you, you can't go. If you go, I, I won't do the surgery. I'm like, mm, but it's seven o'clock. I want to go home. And she's like, no, 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 please, please like stay. So I, I remember I, I stayed there until like eight o'clock in the evening. Of course, you know, I'm not paid overtime for that because it was my decision to stay. Um, there was a nurse to replace me. So of course the hospital isn't going to give me any, you know, credit for that because it, it was my um, own decision but yeah I don't regret it at all I mean the patient went along with the surgery it was successful and she was just super happy you know when when it was done you're also on YouTube which I think is absolutely fantastic how did that project start yeah so um, when I was a student and when I graduated I realized that there's a lot of challenges in nursing especially because there's only so much you can learn by books and then when you actually go to the practical area it's very different and i was really lucky to have had two amazing amazing mentors uh, along my studies who have really guided me and kind of took care of me but there were a lot of other students who didn't have these mentors and who were just lost completely lost you know from when the day you graduate so i decided this is not the best way to approach newly graduate students because at the end of the day it is these people who are going to continue working in the hospital you know and so if we don't take care of the students and the newly grads this is going to create the cycle of negativity and so i started my blog um, with the aim of supporting new nurses and basically teaching them like the most basic things you need to know to practice nursing and it kind of took off from there. A lot of people were interested. Um, I got a lot of readers on my blog. So I decided it's 2020 and people watch more videos than read. So why not um, approach my readers through videos? And I think it's been two months now uh, that I've started my YouTube channel and my Instagram. And I basically update um, students on what a nurse's life is and what to expect and i've lately also started doing some lectures because i think having like guidance and support for students is super important so i make the point that i'm very reachable to my readers and my students and 
just try to support them as much as possible. And where can can we reach you? Um, I think lately the, the best way to reach me is through my Instagram account, uh, nurse.mariana, or through my email, which is thenursingjournal2020 at gmail.com. But there's a lot of other social media. There's the Facebook and, of course, my YouTube. So I, I try to reach anyone on any platform, really. Would you encourage other students, particularly women, to to enter the sciences and healthcare profession? Yeah, definitely. I think that like women sometimes maybe stay away from choosing sciences, but there's actually been research that shows that women do a lot better at university and kind of there's a higher percentage of women who do follow surgery education than there are men. And sciences is definitely a way for women to get into the new um, world, really. And it's not only nursing, you know, there's a lot of uh, different courses that women can choose, just like men, of course, <laughs> like, they, they, you know, they're open for both. But I think we should really um, encourage our female students to pursue a career in sciences. Before we return to the conversation with Mariana, we'll check in briefly with my sister, Andrea, who is in medical school. Andrea, in the second half of May, The Guardian reported that black Americans are dying of COVID-19 at three times the rate of white people. What was the article about and do we know why? The Guardian reported that the figures were compiled by APM Research Lab. There is a divide in the COVID-19 death rate between black Americans and the rest of the country. More than 20,000 African Americans, about 1 in 2,000 of the entire black population in the US, have died from the disease. While comorbidities are a factor, there is mounting evidence that black Americans are disadvantaged in terms of access to diagnostic testing and treatment for the disease. In large cities, black neighborhoods were hit much harder than wealthier white areas. At the moment in the world, another topic which managed to knock the, the coronavirus out of the headlines is civil rights and the Black Lives Matter movement. Is there any sort of discussion happening in perhaps the circles you form part of it in the Maltese healthcare professions about these issues? Um, you know, when you graduate as a nurse, you take an oath that you're going to treat and care for anyone who comes your way. You know, whether they are it doesn't matter the color of their skin. You're just going to help everyone. And that is, I think, what we do. And that is what should be done in general. There shouldn't be a difference between white or black skin. There shouldn't be a difference between locals or immigrants or foreigners. You know, at the end of the day, the earth has been given to us and we shouldn't be the ones who say, okay, this is mine. That country is yours. Stay out of it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, we don't really discuss politics at work and uh, mainly because there are different opinions so we try not to get into arguments but personally for example i do think that black lives matter like the movement black lives matter is really important um particularly my partner is, is a foreigner he's not maltese and i've been in situations when i was with him and people assume that i'm not maltese either and it's small, it's like these small situations, like we were at a supermarket once and the cashier said, um, like there was a person in front of me doing her, like her shopping and they were taking forever discussing in Maltese um, the offers that the, the shopping mall has and all that. 
And I nicely asked the cashier, I said, can we, like, should we go to another cash so we can explain to her in English? And this cashier looked at the Maltese person and in Maltese told her, I think we should hurry up because these people need to use the bathroom really quickly. So, you know, and, and at that point I'm like, hey, I can understand what's going on, you know. And oh. it's, it's, it's like, this happens really frequently. Just another time we were walking, um, walking outside and someone told my boyfriend to go back to their country. And I'm like, I am in my country, you know. <laughs> so racism happens very, very frequently. And I, I, I make it a point to address it because it's not okay. Research shows that black people suffer when it comes to being given healthcare. Would you say that you've heard people in positions of power within your setting, within your healthcare setting, advocating specifically for black rights, or is there a lack of these kinds of leaders? As healthcare professionals, we collectively take an oath to care for anyone who comes our way, you know. But unfortunately, just like any other sector, there are individuals who, who their beliefs don't align with their work ethic. Now, I can't speak for the whole, you know, healthcare industry because it's a very fast um, group of people. But unfortunately, there are certain incidents, you know, isolated uh, incidents where people do post racist comments and i think that this has to be tackled mariana do you have any plans for your future um definitely i will keep speaking my mind <laughs> and trying to increase more awareness about the situation um, i really want to help the students um, and support them especially because i think that nursing is quite a challenging profession to get into so that is definitely um what I plan, you know, I plan to grow my channel and grow my website. Um, and that's basically it. Mariana, thank you very, very much for being a guest on Coffee Conversations. Thank you so much, Christoph. This brings us to the end of episode two. I'm already looking forward to speaking to you again soon. In the meantime, you can follow COVID Conversations on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Until next time, stay safe.